Hello, and welcome to Core Women. My name is Dr. Summer Watson, and I'm the founder of Core Women, and I'm also an empowerment strategist for women. So if you're listening to this podcast to delve more into empowerment strategies, well, you're here for the right reason. However, Core Women was also developed because it's a special place that provides a unique idea of home for the hearts and souls of women. It's a place for us to share our strength, energy, wisdom, and authenticity. It's a place for women to find support and strategic empowerment ideas that will help support their lives. Today on the show, I'd like to welcome Michelle Godwin, who has worked in the education profession for 18 years as a teacher. She built a library for a charter school, and today her mission is to get underrepresented young people in the door at top companies in the San Francisco Bay Area. Let's get right into talking about your exciting journey, Michelle, and welcome. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Well, I'm excited to have you. So let's begin by talking about your drive to be an educator and when you knew that you wanted to teach. Okay. Well, I started really young. I actually knew, uh, I remember deciding I wanted to be a teacher in my junior year in high school. Um, I was inspired by my English teacher at the time, Ms. Chance, in Texas. And um, I, yeah, and I never thought about being anything else. So I went to school and and got a degree in English and then got my teaching certificate and fast forward more than 18 years here I am (laughs) wow that's awesome so what was this was there a certain age group that you were excited about teaching yeah I never had uh, any desire to teach any um, young kids I'm not actually that I'm not going to be ugly, but I don't, I don't, that's not my gift. (laughs) We all have what we're good at. And so we kind of know that. And and that's important to know when you are a teacher that you are kind of, you gravitate towards a certain age group. Yeah. Yeah. I'm always so grateful that there are people who um, want to do the things, all the many things that I don't want to do. And that includes teaching younger children. I was really drawn to um, older uh, yeah, high school kids. I'm I'm really excited about um, there, especially lately. Thinking about the that cusp um, that they are, you know, about to start this whole new chapter of their lives, and in high school, just how much potential they have, just that energy. I'm I'm really drawn to, and I'm excited about helping them navigate that. Um, that, you know, crossing that threshold, it's really scary and daunting, but I, I love it. And to see, to see these young people, you know, to see little glimpses of who it is that they'll eventually turn out to be, it's really, it's an honor. It's, it's been wonderful. I totally, totally get what you're, you're saying in relation to knowing where you want to be in teaching. I had a substitute teaching certificate when I got out of undergrad, because it was a good way for me to kind of bridge the gap between my application to law school or trying to get it to into an editing house, because I was also a literature major. And so I thought, well, rather than like getting a full on job to, you know, work nine to five, I will do the teaching thing. And so when I started teaching, I finally got to a point where I was like, nope, please don't put me with anybody that's fifth grade and under. 
I mm-hmm. you know you can put me with the tough kids, the kids that you know don't need to go into the mainstream let's see schedule so to speak mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. have to do special classes or what you can do that. I am happy, but if they're under fifth grade, ten years and younger, please don't. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I love high school. I love junior high, but anybody under 10 years old, that was really difficult. You know, there are just, yeah. there are people that were really special who just love to work with that age group. And then they would look at me and say, Hmm, really high schoolers? <laughs> and yeah. I would say, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so I, yeah. I get where you're going, where you went with that, because, you know, we all have areas of interest and we have, we just know our skill set, and sometimes we're better with a certain age. So from there, you went into teaching for a charter school, or did you, you started a library. So how did that all begin? Okay. Well, um, I am from Texas, and um, my, first, my first year of teaching was at um, what they called an alternative school. It was um, way outside of Austin. And um, it was where they sent students who, um, I called it one, one stop short of jail for some of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a tough year, good, good uh, um, baptism by fire, and um, learned some things there, and then uh, went and taught at a, a regular um, comprehensive high school in Austin for two years, moved to San Francisco, and started working at a small charter school um, here in the city and worked there for seven years. And it was, um, an amazing place to be so amazing that I eventually went back, but, um, super, super underfunded. And, um, I thought it'd be good to try, uh, to teach at a place that was not underfunded. So I went and taught at a private school for three years and, quickly figured out that that was not my calling, that that, I just wasn't interested in that. And I went back to the charter school where I'd been and um, approached the principal about hiring me to be the librarian, the school librarian, because I knew there were special funds set aside for San Francisco schools specifically for that. And um, the, the principal, who was also my friend, she she blinked a couple of times when I said that because the school didn't have a library. But I said, um, hire me to be the librarian and I will build the library. And so she said, okay, let's do it. And I'd never done anything like that before ever. Um, I, I was brought up that, um, believing that you don't talk about money. And I certainly never felt a desire to ask people for money. but I felt um, I was absolutely convinced that this is something I could do and um, and it was something that I really wanted to do for the school that had um, you know really formed me as a teacher um, so I I didn't really know what I was doing I just knew that I needed to get uh, I decided it was about sixty thousand um, dollars to create a, a library with 20 to 22 titles per student for our small school. I, so I, I did that research to figure that out and um, and then started asking people for money and asking friends and asking um, 
just asking people and people were quick to say yes. Um, I think that, you know, the thing that drew me, the, the absolute conviction that all schools should have libraries and that all students should have access to good books, I think most people believe that. And so people were generous and, and said yes and gave me money. And um, I wrote grants and I got grants. And um, friends helped me out and sponsored a fundraising party. Like people just really pitched in in a way that made all of it feel, frankly, pretty easy. Um, because people, again, believe that students should have access to books. Yeah. And um, yeah, so that was, that was really satisfying. It didn't happen all at once. That It took place over the course of several years. But you know, as soon as I would get money, I, would, I started buying books um, for our school and, and started learning um, quite a few really important lessons about um, how to build a library for, um, for a school where we have a lot of reticent readers. A lot of our students identify as um, non-readers, they, they'll say outright, I don't read, I don't like to read, reading's boring. And um, I, in trying to figure out how to support those students and get them to see that they have not yet met the book that will make them a reader, um, I had to kind of really, you know, I had, to, I had to really figure out how to do that. And one of the things that became clear fairly quickly um, was that, you know, it, as I was going about building this collection and trying to figure out what books to even buy, it, 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 it became like, I don't know what a 14-year-old Latinx kid, male, wants to read. I don't know that. So I'm going to ask that kid. And I kind of, so I pivoted from just feeling, you know, thinking, oh, I'm just going to buy a bunch of books that are, are for kids to really being thoughtful about representation and um, finding books that um, feel relevant to my school's population, which um, is predominantly black and brown students, first generation um, college going students. So I, um, so I started asking them. And uh, if they gave me even a hint of something they were interested in, um, if they would tell me, I don't like to read books, but I like cars, then I would order a pile of books about cars. Um, and then I would say, here are 10 books about cars. Are any of these interesting to you? And hopefully one or two were. And if none of them were, then I would go back and find some more books about cars. Um, and that's how we built the collection. It became, um, I ended up kind of advertising the library as um, a place for you to, for students to come and make requests and I will fulfill those requests and I'll get those books and, and you will have built the collection. So three years later, we had an amazing um, library super um, diverse 
in the interest. We had a whole section of uh, African-American sci-fi women writers. We had, we had a lot of Spanish titles. We had, um, we were just all over the map because the students picked them. Um, and that, yeah, yeah, it felt really good. I felt like Santa Claus often because, you know, (laughs) I had an opportunity to, for a student to kind of, you know, side eye me and be like, yeah, I don't really read books. I like cars. And then to be able to go to that student a few days later with a pile and stick it in front of his face and be like, okay, what do you think of these? And he, and always they were surprised and grateful. And, um, and we were able to really make an amazing library, all of us together. That is, that is awesome. And I'm going to take it a step back. Okay. So because I want to, I want to get into some of your your transition and your process during this time. So you were you started your journey in Texas as a teacher. Mm-hmm. What took you out to San Francisco? Hmm. Um, my then husband and I uh, were in our early mid twenties, and we thought, how fun would that be to live in a city? Um, and Austin is a is becoming more city like, but um, doesn't have the density that we were really looking for. Um, I was born and raised in Texas. I'd never lived outside of Texas, and I was excited. We were excited about the prospect. And honestly, it was like we listed the cities, and Chicago and New York are too cold. L.A. Yeah. is too spread out. Doesn't have the density. Right. Um, how about San Francisco? I mean, it really ended up kind of being like that. And that's oh, very cool. Okay. Cause I 20 th- years ago. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's just really interesting because that's a big step. That takes a lot of courage. That takes some research that takes just doing it, you know, and you did it. So you went through this process, you had the courage, you made this transition and now you're in San Francisco. How does it feel? How did it feel as a, a Texan young girl? moving into such a big city yeah um it felt very foreign and crazy it felt far away from home i'm a i'm a mama's girl um and you know my husband and i agreed that we would give it i think three to five years and um probably year two i was like okay i think i'm good let's go on back um and and but I got my job at the at the charter school and settled in and it's just life. We just right. live our lives. And it's funny that I appreciate you naming the courage of moving because I think that with a few of the big transitions I've made in my life, I've I've just kind of decided to do them, not thinking of them as being acts of courage, but then, you know, in looking back, realizing, right. That was a really big deal. That took some some nerve to yeah. to do that. That's very crazy. <laughs> yeah, that's a huge transition. And you're, you, it, because not only did you physically and actively move yourself, but you moved to a place that's completely a different culture than maybe yeah. that of Austin, and yeah. Yeah. in somewhere that you weren't raised and you weren't overly familiar with, but you knew that you had certain parameters about the city that you chose. 
and why? Because of weather, because of the density, because of, and here you are now in San Francisco that is just a, a melting pot of different things and cultures and you've got these different boroughs of people and it, it really becomes unique and you can get lost there sometimes. And finally, you found a niche. You found the charter school. You found a network of people who you kind of aligned with and you agreed with their mission and the vision for what they did in, in the education element. And, and here you are now having this school of support. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's always nice to hear somebody else's take on, um, on things, you know, when we're just moving along, putting one step in front of the other. And I'm glad that you named that school and that support because, you know, I, I taught there for seven years. I left for a while and then I came back and built the library and worked there for five years. And my work with that school um, is absolutely um, uh, is the, the lens I use in thinking about what I'm going to do in the future. I left there and um, 2018 and I'm making a career transition now but that work at the school including building that library absolutely is the foundation for all everything that I want to do from now on and that network of of people my coworkers the students the parents that community that that it really holds that school is absolutely what has um, held me and continues to hold me as I think about my next step well, it also gave you an opportunity to plant some roots. It gave you an opportunity to build community. It gave you an opportunity to network. It, it provided you with so many things once you found your place. And, yeah. and that was a process. And so it's awesome to hear that you had your process, even if you weren't necessarily aware that you were going through the process at this time but having conversations like this are so important because when you go out and tell your story so here's here's your origin story of sorts right and yeah. and and now where you want to take all this knowledge wisdom skills and what you want to do with that is put it towards another transition in your life and creating something that you absolutely want to embrace um, further in your journey, right along your journey. So tell us about what you're doing now that you're going to bring all this great wisdom and knowledge to and, and put it towards. Yeah. In my last few years of teaching um, at my charter school, I, I was teaching seniors and advising them um, through the college application and acceptance and financial mm -hmm. aid um, processes. And we did such a good job at that school of getting students into college, really great, um, you know, college acceptance rate through there. But what I was seeing over and over again is students were coming back a year later, having dropped out, not having felt very supported while they were at college um, by you know, resources on campus. And not only having dropped out, but with debt. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that was just making me absolutely nuts. So I think in a moment of inspiration, not unlike the moment of inspiration I had about the library, I realized that I wanted to help my students and, and students, particularly here in the Bay Area, 
um, get into, like be more successful, complete college um, or not. I actually have a lot of feelings about um, alternate routes to college, but the uh, alternate, yeah. But um, in getting into career ladder jobs. And, and one of the things I, I realized is that, again, I've had a front row seat to um, the talent. I've seen firsthand um, the uh, potential that these young people have. Like I, I have, I've watched them, I've lived with them and watched um, and heard their stories. And, and I know that they have so, so, so much to offer. And yet their stories are not part of the, the Bay Area, Silicon Valley narrative. Like I, I keep hearing about companies who are making efforts to diversify their workforce, but I'm not seeing my students get that access. And so there's a disconnect there. And um, I am working to help bridge that gap between um, companies, uh, Bay Area companies and, um, and students like mine, marginalized students who, mm-hmm. um, who, are, who just aren't getting, aren't getting the, the opportunity. Right. Yeah. Because I know that you had said like in your bio and during our previous chat that your mission is now to help young people get into top companies in the San Francisco Bay Area. What types of companies are we looking at here that, you know, you really think there's some kind of gap? Yeah. Well, really the tech companies in particular, that's what, that's what, um, you know, we have plenty of around Mm -hmm. here, but, you know, in my own just kind of uh, personal study of the landscape, um, which I've been doing for the past year and a half. I'm I'm hearing about a diversity and inclusion efforts um, at places like Airbnb and Salesforce, mm-hmm. and you know Uber gets all kinds of attention about the messiness that's going on there at times. And mm-hmm. so just kind of studying some of these these tech firms, I'm thinking about you know, the, the footprint that they have here downtown San Francisco or, you know, the Google campus Mm -hmm. down in Cupertino. When I think about the physical footprint they have and as well as what we, you know, hearing, uh, you know, brand recognition all the time. And then the, the families that my students and their families and their footprint and how their footprint is getting smaller and smaller and smaller as these companies come in and like Salesforce have three campuses on one, you know, three buildings on one corner. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I'm thinking about is like, how is it that, that we can't coexist? Why is it that these companies don't truly recognize that investing in Bay Area young people is really how they're going to diversify their workforce in a way that will benefit everyone. Right. Um, right. Yeah. Absolutely. It will support community. It will support culture, diversifying culture. It will, you know, there's so many ways that it can support. It can be different and it can change. And it's funny that you mentioned this because I grew up in California. I grew up in the, in Santa Cruz, which was just right outside of the Bay Area. So I'm very familiar with the area. Plus I went to Berkeley and many of the people that I went to school with 
of course, tech was just growing and it was just really starting to develop in Silicon Valley. And many of the, the kids that I went to school with were CS majors, computer science majors. The kids that I went to high school with, as crazy as this seems and might sound, they were actually working in a computer room. We had a computer room. Not everybody had a computer back then, I'm talking back in the day in like 87, 86. And so they were working in a computer room and figuring out how to write code by themselves, how to, mm. how to do all these crazy things. And one of the creators of Duke, well, the creators of Duke Nukem, which is a very popular game back then, actually mm. created it at our school. Wow. During their lunch breaks, during, you know, <laughs> after school, in the computer room. So there, there were young folks who had a mission, who had a drive, who were propelling themselves. But again, I think it's so important when I hear what you're talking about, and you're talking about really bringing together this industry, this IT tech industry. There's also entertainment out there. There's Pixar out there that's big, you know? Mm -hmm. There's lots of entertainment, mm -hmm. um, graphic design, that kind of stuff out there um, that they can also be brought into the fold here. But what I'm mm -hmm. thinking about is how do you get mentorship programs started with folks in these big companies to bring in, in the, the young community? And mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. that would be phenomenal if we could get those mentorship programs started, which then they would see the need and it would start integrating community with these entities. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, you know, that's just something that was running through my head. But at the same time, I'm going to go back to your library and I'm going to go back to what you're doing today and your vision now is that you have been creating and providing value, purpose and value. So you've given while you created that library, you provided value to those kids. And the reason I say that is they were part of the process. Mm. They were part of the process. And what you did is rather than just build a, a library and start ordering books, you said, what are your interests? What do you like? So when you said that there is a diverse library on that charter school campus, I'm sure there is because you got your community involved, your community of students, where then you were really providing them value. And how exciting yeah. is that? Yeah, it was amazing and it feels really good. And it's funny that it was a bit of a realization on my part that it wasn't just baked in that, of course, it would be built on student choice. Um, right. You know, that, I, that was actually a learning for me. But, but I think one of the things that helped me see that was you know, when I started reaching out to people I knew to help me, you know, build this thing, a lot of very generous, well-intentioned people were offering to donate their old books, mm -hmm. um, which is fine. I'm all about uh, reusing. But what I quickly saw was that it was people, um, a lot of my friends, people like me, college educated, predominantly white people were offering to donate their old books. And those books, I have found, a room full of irrelevant books is worse than an empty room <laughs> in yeah. terms of trying to entice reticent readers to read. Right. They, have been, they have seen plenty of copies of 
you know, whatever Shakespeare or whatever they've, they've, yeah, we've all seen that. Iliad, Shakespeare. I mean, yeah, all these things that may not really strike their interests. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, in, in starting to tell people, no, actually I, I need to provide books that um, are, you know, relevant and of interest to my students. That was where I had my learning, like, right. And how will I know what those are except to ask? Right. And that's how that got started. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think that you recognize that was so important for your process and for providing that value to the students. And again, I keep going back to the value because if you had a room full of books, like you said, that would be irrelevant. They wouldn't be sitting there. They wouldn't be checking them out. They wouldn't be utilizing them. They wouldn't be learning. So what you did was you integrated them into the process and as a result, value. Right. Yeah. And that's exciting. And now you're doing the same with your new mission. Yeah. And and I wouldn't necessarily, it's new. It's just the wisdom and knowledge. And now what you're creating around that is so inspirational and so fabulous that you're again providing value to your community. Yeah. Yeah. I feel really good about it. And, and I feel like I'm providing value um, for the young people that I'm talking about so that they have access to career ladder jobs and the possibility of being able to stay in the Bay Area that has become so expensive. Yes. But I also recognize, and one of the things I, that I think about too is like, is these companies need these kids. In fact, the world needs the innovation and perspective of the young people I'm talking about. Um, mm-hmm. When we marginalize people, then we're, we all lose out right? That's all of us losing out on that voice and that perspective and that, and the, and the ways of innovation. Right. Um, And so that's just in my mind, it is a win, win, win. Companies win, young people win, community wins, San Francisco wins. Like it's just a no brainer to me. I just have to help um, companies see that. And that's what I'm working on. Yeah. And you can, you can inspire them as well. Because again, yeah. you're taking something to them that will provide them value. It will provide the community value, it will provide the kids value, and it'll bring everybody together where they'll have a better understanding of the stories and the journeys that these young kids you know, have gone through and how they can actually help support them in mm-hmm. creating and continuing their journey and inspire them. I think because Silicon Valley like you said, there's the Google campus. There's all these campuses that they've created or these structures that they've created to keep people out, so to speak. Well, mm-hmm. and, and to be self-functioning. So like, say for instance, Google, that's great. You know, that's amazing. And they've got this wonderful campus. However, it's also a way that they provide for their employees, but and they keep them there and they keep them going and interested. However, how do they open up that campus to really invite community in? Yeah. And not keep them out. Yeah. Right. And I feel like too that that is a metaphor for the the movement is diversity and inclusion. And right. I take issue with some of that phrasing, but I think about what does it truly look like to be inclusive and you know, I know of many programs that 
are great about preparing young people to go into these kinds of jobs and and setting up mentorships. Unfortunately, there aren't enough of these programs, right? right? It's a bunch of programs with little band-aids, providing mm -hmm. little band-aids, when really it needs to be systemic. But one of the things that feels like is really lacking is the coaching or support for companies. Like, what does that look like to then bring in young people? What, what is it about yourself that you're struggling with here? And then, and disguising that as code language, like, you know, this person isn't a um, culture fit or, you know, that kind of thing. So, so really thinking about getting companies to open up their campuses, but to also open up their minds around right. what, what is equity really look like? What does it really look like to examine our own biases as a company and get, learn a little more about ourselves so that we can actually be better? Right. I hear what you're saying. And so I'm putting this challenge out to the community because they may not be conscious enough. Okay. And what I mean by that is they may not even have an awareness, but right. because this stuff is more talked about in regards to equity and um, inclusion and such, but are they conscious? Are they conscious enough? Are they, mm -hmm. are, do they even have a sense of consciousness? So the challenge mm -hmm. is challenge yourself to be more conscious folks out there, because if you don't know what that is, then find out what that is. Reach mm -hmm. out to your community, reach out to those mm -hmm. folks like you, Michelle, who might be able to bridge that gap and say, this is what this looks like. Let's have, you know, let's have a workshop on what it means to, to be conscious enough, to be conscious. Mm -hmm to have a conscious uh -huh. community. And I mean, a community in the IT, be it Google, be it whatever, you know, whatever yeah. company yeah. to speak. So are you conscious enough? So right. I think this is fabulous. I think this is so wonderful and, and it's so needed, especially, and you see it in San Francisco, how needed it is. I used to work in San Diego in an area after I got my master's degree in a very, in an area in, a na in neighborhoods that were very saturated with gang kids, kids that were connected with gangs. And I remember needing to speak their language and to better understand them, to have them come back, to have them talk to me. And when I got that first phone call at my office saying, hey, I just want to talk to you today because I just need somebody to reach out to you. I was like, oh my gosh, I've reached the community. And I mean, I've done uh, community collaborations, but when I had that one kid who was in high school, who was part of a gang, that I need to, I need to reach out to you. I need somebody to talk to you about the situation, right? I was like, uh -huh. wow. And they've, and these kids, they've got leadership skills. They've got networking skills. They've got, you just have to be able to look at it and see what they have and be like, uh -huh. aha, how can we apply uh -huh. these skills in a different way? Yeah. Yeah. And it was I mean, I think so about, scary. yeah, right. Like there's just, again, so much potential mm -hmm. um, in these, in these young people. I, the example that I refer to a lot, one of my former students who um, really helped me build the, the library because she read three to five books a week Wow. Um, English, her second language, but um, she was just a voracious reader. 
And she uh, literally walked to San Francisco from Honduras. Wow. And when I think about these companies who are looking, you know, the algorithms they choose, they use to look for the people, you know, the employees they want. Um, and then, you know, the word grit was thrown around there for mm -hmm. a little while. I don't know that you can show me a better example of grit and determination and ambition and tenacity and strength. I just don't know that you can. Yeah. And resiliency. Um, Mm-hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, my walk from what would you say, Honduras to San Francisco? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That's, <laughs> that's amazing. So, yeah, top that. <laughs> yeah, right. And if you don't want that skill set, then I don't know what you're looking for. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. Right. And, you know, and she's a reader, she's curious, she's smart, she's she's taught herself English, you know, in four years. Like, what? What part of that? you know, is not like, what, why are people not knocking on her door saying, we want to talk to you. We want to like, that's what I'm thinking about. That's the story that um, I want to tell and help companies see that when they do. And, and I get, I get the efficiency needed. Um, but I think that people are, I'm seeing it. I don't think it, I know it. that in the Bay area, these companies are, are really, um, they're missing out and, and they, you know, they need to think about what their algorithm really ought to look like because there's a lot of people who aren't making it in onto those campuses. Right. Well, I think we've covered quite a lot today and, and <laughs> yeah. it's so, it can get deep at times because, you know, it has to do with consciousness. It has to do with inclusion. It has to do with equity. It has to do with so many big topics that some people shy away from them because they are heavy and yet yeah. we need to do more to feel uncomfortable in that space so that we become more inclusive, that we have yeah. a better idea of what's happening in our communities and we become more conscious. So mm -hmm. with all of that and all that you've said today, if you were to leave the listeners with some words of wisdom, what would they be? I know you've already given a lot, but if you were to say, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that I look back to what I would tell my, you know, 24 year old self that, well, it's kind of twofold. One of them is kind of cliche, but just go ahead and, and do it. That thing that you're thinking about, you're not sure whether or not that's something you could do. And I'm in the process of that right now. And I'm constantly having to tell myself, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to do it. I'm going to try it and see. Um, because my gut is telling me that this is the right thing for me and that I'm wise enough um, to do this. And I'm going to do the best I can to ignore these other messages that I get um, that make me doubt myself. Um, so I'm, uh, I'm, I'm going to do it. And then um, I think to really counting on my network of, of friends, but um, you know, supporters, the people who helped, who helped me see that, you know, we could build this library together and the people who are um, saying, yeah, you know, you can do this thing, um, um, including you, you know, this network of strong women that I'm, that I'm reaching out to. It's, I've really leaned heavily on that and that's super helpful. So 
those are the two things I can think of. Well, thank you. Thank you for those words of wisdom. And thank you, Michelle, for joining me on the Core Women podcast today. Thank you so much. This has been wonderful. If you'd like to know more about Michelle, please follow her on LinkedIn and Facebook. If you need a strategic empowerment coach, contact me. If you want to tell your story of empowerment or how you have reconstructed your life to drive change, send me a video or an email of your story providing permission to use it on my social media platforms. If you want to be featured on my podcast, reach out to me at infocorewomen.com. I want to hear from you and to get to know you. You are now part of the Core Women home. Let's get to know each other. Let's learn from one another. Please follow Core Women on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Please let your women friends know about this podcast. If you write about Core Women in your social media posts, please hashtag Core Women. This is all about women. Thank you for taking the time to learn more about Core Women, and please stay tuned for continued growth of the Core Women movement. Let's grow and drive change together. 